you know him? Well, he's in Genesis, the fourth chapter, is where we're going to talk to him about. So if you'll turn to Genesis 4, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the word of God that will lead and guide us in all truth. Anoint us, we pray, with your Holy Spirit, not only for me for speaking, but for hearts and minds and ears to receive what comes from heaven. So guide us in this hour, and may it be something that we leave here a better person having given heed to the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis, the fourth chapter, I want to read the first eight verses. I, I'm kind of hoping I can get this far in it, but there's an awful lot here we need to talk about uh, in this particular portion of the Scripture that God gave us. Actually, this whole fourth chapter is basically about Cain and and the things that took place in his life and most of you have probably know the story of that from the Sunday school and from other things uh, uh, but anyway it says in verse 1 and Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said I've gotten a man from the Lord and she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, the New Testament would say in due time, okay? But in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But Cain, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth. That means mad. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are there why are you wroth or mad? And why has thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt not shalt thou not be respect accepted and if thou doest not well sin lieth at the door and unto thee shall be his desire and thou shalt rule over him and Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him all right, now there's a lot in that, and we want to get to it. Here we see in verse 1 that uh, the curse that Adam and Eve fell prey to, especially we see it in, in Eve as to what God um, said would happen to her because of her sin of disobedience to God uh, with the, the tree of good and evil. Uh, we say that she's going to experience childbirth. If you look back in the... Uh, it's on the same page in my Bible, but it's in Genesis, the third chapter, verse 16. Under the woman, he said, now this is after they, were, they had sinned, disobeyed God, and God put them out of the garden. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception. Thy sorrow shall uh, bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now that was, if you would, her punishment, so to speak. Um, it's not so much that you're punished by being married and have to listen to the old man all the time. Your punishment is the pain you will go through in delivering a child. Those of you that have delivered a child know it can be a little bit sore. It can be a little painful. I don't know of anybody that I've ever heard said they had, uh, they had given birth to a child and, oh, it was a piece of cake didn't bother me at all I really didn't even even know it happened no you have a child you will know it happened there's going to be a lot of pain involved in that you can thank Eve for that pain amen so Eve said um, uh, in verse 1 there I've gotten a man from the Lord well that just means that she became pregnant actually I want you to know I studied a little bit about Cain, and, uh, and I want you to know what the word Cain means. All right? Now, why they chose to name him Cain 
I really don't know. But she said, I've got a, a man from God. Actually, the word Cain means to create by using other parts. That's what the word Cain means. All right? So, so what she did is they saw Cain and they realized Adam had a part in that. And they realized Eve had a part in that. And they even realized God had a part in that. And the three parts, if you would, that came together produced Cain. He's what was created when the parts were putting things together. So when all that comes to pass, anytime we think of create, we think of God creating, God makes things out of basically nothing. He speaks it and it happens. But uh, several things that we do, we know about, um, that we see create, and we use the word create sometimes or made, whether it's a car, cars made up of many parts. Amen. You just can't take a, a battery and say, ah, I got a car. No, that's just part of the car. Or you can say, well, I got a steering wheel. No, that's not a car either. It's part of it. It takes many parts put together to make a car or a lawnmower or even jewelry. Amen. How many parts on you? I look around and see the ladies that are wearing something around their neck. Many parts to it. Amen. So you can't call it a necklace if it was all one part, I guess. Or a, a string or a rubber band might be jewelry to you, whatever you want to do. But for the most part, we didn't make those parts. But when we put those parts together, it became what we were achieving to create or have or make to put those parts together. That's what the word Cain actually means. Now, after all, once Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the garden, what else did they have for them to do but raise a little Cain? So, that's what they did. Amen. Now, in verse number 2, I guess that joke went over just like the dog joke. Anyway, in verse 2, it says Eve again, a second time. Here we go. Again means repeat. She bare his brother Abel. Now, you notice in verse 1, it says she conceived, then she bare. This time, she just says she bare. It didn't mention the conceived. Now, I don't know whether uh, that we can read anything into that, and I don't know whether they were twins. Well, I don't know. It doesn't say she conceived twice. They may have been Abel was the firstborn, and sometimes in twins, it's a while before the second one. I don't know. It doesn't say. Oh, but I kind of read into it that her second son probably came at least nine or ten months later down the road somewhere. Okay, and that's kind of what you would think the normal course of action would take for someone to bring forth a child like that. So uh, we might have been uh, one thing or might have been another, and it could have been a longer period of time between Cain and Abel. I really don't know what to tell you on that. It doesn't have enough information for me to draw a conclusion. But nonetheless, the first couple, Adam and Eve, are now raising two sons. Before those two sons, it was Adam, it was Eve, and God and the serpent. That was it. Now they're raising two sons. Uh, who knows how much time they are between them. It really doesn't matter. But as they grew up, they wanted them to lean more towards the leaning that God wanted them to have with their life, how to raise children, rather than what the serpent had to say. The serpent lied to them. I don't know about you. I don't care for somebody lying to me. Amen. He looked them right in the eye and said, you ain't going to die. Ah, God's trying to fool you. Well, now they know better. They know who to listen to. So here they are raising two boys. Somewhere along the line, they'd grown to know the responsibility of giving back to God. You know, you just eventually come to that point. God wants you to give back to him so that God can bless you for more of what you need to be 
in his uh, will or way, if you would. So now that they know that responsibility of giving back for the blessing that God gave them, um, Cain, his creation, they made, but they did it with the help of God. They knew, Cain knew, he didn't make the fruit grow. Yeah, he tilled the ground. He may even watered it. He may have learned as a young boy, eh, grapes aren't going to be very good on the vine unless you put some water around them. Maybe even a little fertilizer. You know, he may have got that from the sheep that his brother was raising. We'll put a little of that fertilizer around them and, and we'll put some water to them and they'll probably produce pretty good. So that's another creation, isn't it? Again, taking many parts and come up with fruit. Amen? Then it says that in verse 4, Abel, when he made his sacrifice, he brought it from the fruit, of, uh, from the, the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. Okay? So in verse number 3, time passed. They both bring an offering before God, and Abel brings the part of his sheep and. Uh, and Cain brings fruit of the ground. Now, here's where the difference seems to appear between the two boys and their sacrifice. It said God had respect unto Abel and his offering. Huh. What do you think about that? Why would his offering be better than Cain's? Well, but it says in verse 5, but to Cain and his offering, he had not respect. There's a difference there for some reason or another. Personally, I believe the respect of God to what was offered means that uh, there's not near as much about the offering as it is the spirit and the attitude of the person giving the offering. So remember that as I preach the rest of this morning, it's not so much the offering, but the spirit of the person or the attitude of the person giving the offering is what I believe this is teaching. You may have a, a different account, and you can straighten me out later. But God didn't need fruit nor a lamb. God's a spirit. They offered it to him. And I know, I understand, it was a sacrifice for both of them to give what they gave. And probably um, he needed Cain and Abel to acknowledge that he was God and that he was the giver of the creations that they were offering and the blessings that would follow because God is a God of principle. Amen? In this case... The principle is, you're going to reap what you sow. Amen? That'll, throughout your life, don't ever forget that. You're going to reap what you sow. I believe Jesus even taught that principle in the New Testament in when he talked about the widow that gave two mites. Amen? Jesus said, all you guys come up here throwing in the offering over here with your big checks and all that. Then that lady comes in and throws in a couple pennies she gave more than all of you, he said, because she gave all her living. Amen. So I want you to know God is interested in what you give to him, but he doesn't really look at the size as much as he does the spirit and attitude you give it with. See, God doesn't need money either, but he does teach a principle of tithing in his word and we need to listen and understand what's going on there. So don't think it's better for someone to give a big amount of money in the offering plate because God's looking at the heart anyway. And if you got a big amount, we'll take it. And a little more if you can borrow it somewhere. Right? But it's all about your heart as you give it. Amen. If you only give a dime but you begrudgingly give it, keep your dime what God's saying because it ain't going to do you much good also let me say this once it hits the offering plate it's not yours anymore it's God's amen so don't try to put strings attached to your offering 
If you think the money is not being used wisely, that's not on you. That's on the elected officials that you have elected to put in charge of taking care of that. And as they, they will do that as they believe God wants them to create your cane with that money. They're going to take it make something else out of it. Amen? Again, the offering's not the issue unless you're being deceitful about that offering. And again, that goes back again to the spirit and attitude of the heart of the person making that offering. All right. Both the fruit offering and the meat offering were time-sensitive. You can only put lamb meat on the altar for so long. Guess what's going to happen? That's right. You can only put fruit, whatever fruit it is. If it's grapes, if it's oranges, if it's apples, you can only let it sit out on the altar for so long. And it's not going to be worth consuming. It has, it's time sensitive. And given enough time, both of those offerings are going to be decaying or going away. So God had to do something with them, and he had to do it rather quickly. Most of the offerings in the Old Testament, now I want you also to understand that the offerings like the lamb, that wasn't even, if you would, in the law of God at this point in history. That comes later under Moses' direction that God asked for sacrifice of lambs and different things of that nature. But he did require of the boys that they do sacrifice to God. Amen? Personally, I believe the best offering you can give to God is time and accessibility to what you can do for God and for the kingdom. I think God would rather have your time and your talents or your availability than he would, if you want to see it that way, as your money. Amen? At the final judgment, we're all going to face God face to face. And he's not going to call Mike and ask how much did they give last year, the year before, the year before. Let's total it up and see if they get into heaven. Amen? Mike will just have to refer him to the computer. It's all in there if they want to know that. They're not going to look at your tithe statement to see whether you're a good person or not and whether you should get to go to heaven or not. But he is going to look at the time that you sacrificed of your life to the work of the kingdom of God and your accessibility to what you can do for kingdom's work. You see, that boils down to your righteousness. Your time and your ability depict, depict whether you're going to be righteous as you stand before God or are you going to be more of a phony and have self-righteousness like hypocrites do. And then when you get to the final judgment, you're going to be disappointed because, man, I put a lot in the plate. But what about when God needed you to do other things in the kingdom? Physical accessibility. Somebody to talk for God. Someone to speak for God. Someone to help out around the building or, you know, whatever. We talk of the church as the building, but sometimes there's work that God wants us to do that's not inside the building. But it needs to be done as a good representative of God. Well, you can say, well, I don't have to worry about taking care of the building and all that. All I need to do is put money in the plate. Well, I don't know. You need to check with God on that and find out. I think God notices the time you sacrifice when you come to the house of worship. Amen. Now, what time do you leave home? What time do you expect to get back home? That's quite a bit of time when you think about it sometimes. All right? Now, you could have stayed home and sang a song. You could have stayed home and said a prayer and think God's going to smile down on you for that five minutes of worship that you gave him. But when you come to church, we're talking hours now. Amen. You think God has more respect towards that time and sacrifice and accessibility of someone that presses their way. Now, I'm not talking about the sick that can't make it. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the healthy people that stay home and say, I'll just take care from here. 
Amen. That's, as far as I'm concerned, that's the same attitude Cain had. Amen? But if you can make it to the house of God and bring your sacrifice, I think God's going to look at you a little bit more like Abel than he did Cain. Amen. Now, you still have to do it right once you get here. You can't come in here with a rotten attitude and a bad spirit and expect God to accept just cause you showed up. Amen? Give me a break, huh? But I think God notices that. So we need to make sure that we do as God has called us in his word to do to assemble ourselves in the house of God and have fellowship one with another. Amen? It takes time to have corporate worship in the house of God. Now looking at Abel's offering, it took more time, if you would, to sacrifice a lamb. Now he first thing he had to do, catch it. Then he had to slit its throat. Then he had to skin it. Then he had to chop it up in pieces like Bonnie and I do a deer. We process it. And he not only brought a lamb, but he brought the fat of some of the other lambs, it says in there. He not only brought the lamb, and he brought a fat offering of other lambs. So it took some time for him to put this all together to bring his sacrifice. And in the way I'm looking at this, uh, Cain came along as he was walking, if you would, from where they were going to offer the sacrifice and where he was spending his time that day. He, as he walked by the grapevine, he just grabbed a cluster and said, that'll do. Amen? Not much of a sacrifice there. Not much of a good attitude. Not much of a right spirit is taking place as he just grabs some fruit on his way to the altar and says, that'll work. If Cain had been as serious about his fruit offering, uh, he would have picked the best fruit, number one. Then he probably would have chopped it up, made a fruit salad, I don't know. Or he may have taken even wheat. That had been good. Somebody's alarm's going off, ain't it? It ain't mine, is it? Shouldn't be mine. All right. But anyway, here we have Cain. He could have taken wheat. You know what he could have done? Rubbed it out in his hand, blew the chaff off of it, put it in a pile, took a rock and ground it into flour, took the flour and mixed it with some water and made dough and put it in the oven and baked bread and offered that on the offering of God. How would that be? That would have took some effort. That would have took some time. That would have took care of what um, God was basically looking for in a sacrifice. A sacrifice is not light and chaffy. As you walk by, you throw it out of your pocket into the plate. Amen? God wants you to be thankful for what he's get done for you. He set up some guidelines for it in the scriptures. And I'm not preaching on tithing, but I want you to know it all follows the same pattern and principle from Genesis to Revelation. Amen? So, again, it was not so much the offering, but the spirit and attitude in which it was given. Because in verse 5, Cain gets mad, and his countenance fell. Did you ever see somebody's countenance fall? You've been talking to them, and they're ha, 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 ha. Uh, yeah, you messed that up. Your boss says, you messed up that job, and you're go. You get mad, and your countenance falls. And the boss knows that rubbed you wrong when you should have took time to do it right the first time on the job that the boss gave you because you failed in your sacrifice. You get mad at the boss. Huh. Now, there are times I can tell what's going on inside someone by their actions and what's happening on the outside of them. When I talk to people, I watch their faces. I watch their hands. I watch their ears and their eyes, and I watch everything about them, and I can tell what they're saying, whether it matches up with what really happened or not. Amen. It's easy. After 46 years, I've learned to do some of that. 
Amen. It's helped me as a pastor. You know what? People will lie to a pastor. Did you know that? Oh, unbelievable. And now a pastor, if, you know, I'm not God, but I'm kind of his representative, so to speak, in the calling that he laid on my life. You know, when you lie to me, you're the same as lying to God. And you think you can just lighten chaffy, push me aside and keep going? No, God's going to say different one of these days about some of that stuff. Amen. So if there was a, a need in the church, and I asked you to help with that need, after all, I'm the pastor. I'm more interested in seeing your expression when I ask you to do that than whether you say, I ain't fooling with that, or, oh, sure, I'll take care of that. I'm more interested in how you're going to do it, with what kind of spirit and what kind of attitude. Are you going to do it God's way? Are you going to take care of that need and do something for the kingdom of God and complete that job? Because after all, um, the church can hire sinners to do that job no matter what it is. Amen. Now, I don't know what job you think of or whatever. I may need somebody to vacuum the carpet in a spot. And I said, would you mind vacuuming that up? If you had attitude, ain't my job, I ain't doing it. Well, okay, I can hire a sinner to do it. But what would God rather? Would God rather you take time and make a sacrifice and do the work that we need done here and get it done in a right way with a right attitude? Amen. I kind of see that's the way Cain responded to what was going on. So in a couple of weeks, when kids' camp's happening... Do it with the right spirit or don't bother. Amen? If we don't have enough people, we'll hire them. Now, I want you to come in and spoiling the attitude of the kids that we're trying to teach God about. Amen? Wouldn't hurt for you to pray before you come. Say, God, what do you want me to do? And whatever it is, I want to do it with the right attitude. Amen? All right. God's more interested in the spirit and the attitude than he is the sacrifice. Verse 6. This is why I came to the conclusion that God cares more about your spirit and attitude than he does the sacrifice. It says the Lord took time to talk to Cain there. Isn't that something? Now he was, if you would, out of bounds, out of line. He was on the wrong path, doing it the wrong way. And God takes time. Let's get this settled. God took time to talk to Cain. Cain, man, you're just making trouble for yourself. Don't do that. Amen. When you walk against God, you're just making trouble for yourself. Amen. And if God talks to you about getting it straightened out and you ignore him, you're probably going to make the problem worse rather than better. That's what happened to Cain here. Amen? So the Lord takes time to talk with him, and what's he notice? His countenance, and that he's mad. Amen. How do you know when someone's mad? You ever see anybody get mad right in front of you? Well, God's even smarter than we are. Amen. When they give that stuff to you, I know what that means. I'm a lip reader. I know what that means. Amen. So when God takes time to do that, and he comes back to Cain again and says, Hey, Cain, why are you mad? What happened to your countenance? Huh, why is your forehead so wrinkly? Don't do that while you're in the sun, or you'll have white stripes and red stripes in your forehead in your suntan. Amen. Smile and let your... Spread it out, spread your forehead out and let it all get that pretty tan, right? Well, that's what God's trying to tan. And then verse 7, God takes time to explain the true meaning of sacrifice to him. If you do well, you'll be accepted. If you give a half-hearted, hypocritical sacrifice, you're in trouble with God. 
That makes sense, don't it? Isn't that, you know what? You don't even have to be 25 years old to understand that. I bet if we told the children that in junior church, they'd understand it. You got to do what's right by God or it's not going to work out well for you. Well, I think they would understand that. Amen. I even like to say that to some people that I meet driving cars on the highway. If you do it right, you'll get to where you want to go. You do it selfish and you're more important than everybody else attitude, man, yeah, somebody's going to swap paint with you somewhere along the line. You're going to have difficulties getting to where you need to be. Amen. But I do want you to know a bad offering is not sin. But it does open the door for Satan to use that scenario to change your heart from worship to selfishness and that'll lead you to sin. I went look at that in verse number 7 at the end of it there and it says if thou doest well sin lieth at the door and unto thee shall his who's his who's his represent his desire who do you think he's talking about there if you do it wrong you're going to satisfy his desire did you know that but you got to know who his is and he goes on to say and thou and thou shalt rule over him who's him can I give you a hint he's talking about Satan you do it wrong Satan's got control over you but you do it right you can rule over Satan isn't that cool now God was so nice to Cain to try him to get him to understand some of the simplest things that you and I as 21st century Christians and Bible studiers and, and Holy Spirit carrying arounders with us all the time, we understand those things. Amen. Because the Spirit of God lives within us. So remember that principle. To do wrong does not break your relationship with God. You can make a mistake. You can do things that aren't even right. You know what? That doesn't re we break, break your relationship with God to continue to do wrong and to have a bad reaction to that through your spirit and through your attitude. That'll have an impact on your relationship with God. Now, God was upset with Cain because of his offering. But I believe he was more upset about him getting mad and his countenance falling because that revealed what was in his heart. Amen? Eventually, if you ruin your relationship with God, you see, God doesn't move. When you act up and have a bad spirit, God stays right where he was. The person that moves is you. That puts distance between you and God. God's still the same. He's still there. Amen. You haven't, you haven't phased God a bit. Amen. You can sin, backslide, do whatever you want. That don't phase God at all. He's still right where he always was. And actually, I think he even still loves you. He'd like to even sit down and talk with you like he did Cain and bring you back into a right relationship. But that's why it's called backsliding instead of backfalling. Amen? It's a work to get away from God. Cain had trouble getting away from God. And even, you're going to see, even after he kills his brother, who's right there to talk to him about it? God's in the same place he was when he was mad and his countenance fell as he was after he slew his brother. God was still right there in the same place. See, God's merciful. He even gave Cain extra admonition about his sacrifice. Hopefully, the next time Cain would do better when it comes to offering a sacrifice. God is that way. He's merciful. He'll meet us halfway or better. He gave Cain an opportunity to have respect for the shortcoming in his non-accepted sacrifice. But ultimately, it's up to Cain as to where he allows his relationship with God to mature. It's the same with you and I. In verse number 8, 
Cain went to Abel. He even have a talk about it. Isn't that something? Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Let's talk about this, brother. God just came and talked. Did God come and talk to you, Abel? Well, he came and talked to me, and you know what he said? He said, I should do better with my sacrifice. What do you think, Abel? Do you think I should have a better sacrifice next time? What do you think, Abel? Tell me what it's all about. Give me some wisdom, because God accepted yours, and I want him to accept mine too. Now, you and I can imagine that conversation and what took place. Amen. Do you think Cain walked up to Abel and said, Man, congratulations on that great sacrifice you gave to God. He loved it. It was awesome. You think so? Well, if he's mad and wroth and his countenance failed, he's probably not in a congratulatory state of mind to brag on somebody else's offering when his was miserable. Amen. All right? You think Abel was sympathetic to Cain? about his failure. Do you think then he had some encouraging words for him? You know, I think next time we offer, I think you'll do better. I'll even help you if you'd like. Can I give you a hand with that? Can I show you some tricks that I tried that pleased God? You know, what kind of conversation did they have? It's hard to say. The word doesn't say. But Abel may have even said, I'll be so glad to help you that next time God's going to smile down and you're going to smile back at God for what you have to offer him. Amen. But sometimes older brothers don't like little brothers to straighten them out. Amen. Older brothers don't like to take advice from little brothers. I can only say that because I'm a little brother to two older brothers. And I really was not their counselor to help them get, if you would, people to smile at what they were doing in their lives. They looked at me as a tattletale uh, when they did something wrong, afraid that I'd run to mommy and daddy and tell them, and then they would be in trouble. Amen? So what, especially when I think of that, I think of in the kingdom work. You know, the saints that's been around for years and years and years, they get upset sometimes when a younger, new convert, comes along and says, you know what? I read in the Bible. You know what it says? It says, man, this is great stuff. And he, I read that 40 years ago. Move on, brother. Don't bother me with your trivial stuff. Hey, encourage the younger and the older. It says that we're supposed to do that. Amen. So we need to be um, interested in the kingdom work, whether it's obvious uh, or how it should be done, or whether it's somebody's learning process of what's going on. Again, the sacrifice is not the issue. It's the spirit and the attitude. Well, the scripture says, it came to pass. Yeah, it always seems to come to pass. Now again, based on your spirit and your attitude, time can make things better and time can make things worse depending on how you spend that time once you know what God expects of you be careful how you use your time in worshiping God because you're either going to get closer to God or you're going to open the door for the devil to get in and cause you much more conflict and problems. You'll become much more selfish. You'll become much more bitter toward God and toward God's people. Amen? That's what God was explaining to Cain in verse number 7. In time, you'll either rule over sin or sin will rule over you. It's up to you as to how you respond to what God has to say. Well, guess what? 6,000 years later, that principle has not changed. It hasn't changed one bit. It's still the same. Either you're going to rule over sin, or sin's going to rule over you. The Scripture says, after Cain talked to Abel, his brother, in the Scriptures, if you notice, again, the other dude's going to step on it. 
put coal in there. Add to that, it came to pass, amen, when they were in the field, under the cover of darkness, all alone where nobody could witness it, all these things that were boiling up inside Cain came out in his wrath and his countenance and nobody got to see it. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Cain was so full of rage and his inability to control himself and his spirit that envy and jealousy caused him to take it out on the one that used his ability for good. Took it out on the one that God was pleased with because his sacrifice didn't please God. Well, I'll just wipe out the competition. Then God will like my sacrifice, won't he? Because it'll be the only sacrifice he's going to get. No, it doesn't work that way. Amen? All right, I understand a lot of that. Cain was so full of rage that he thought the best way to, to uh, uh, put at ease his envy and jealousy was to do away with the one that was causing him to be envious and jealousy. And the one that actually had the true answer as far as what God wanted to do. As a pastor and my wife, I want you to know, we've had first-hand experience with vengeance. Amen. I think someone is going to uh, sometime take a weapon and try to kill us. No, I don't really think that. But they've, out of envy, jealousy, rage, rage, they've done their best to put us down to try to make themselves look good when they disagreed with what the pastor or his wife was doing in the church. Can I tell you something? What does that mean when you put someone else down to make yourself look good, according to the scripture? That's called pride. Everybody knows that, right? What does God think of pride? I'm not preaching on pride. That's the obvious stuff we know from being around the house of God for the years that we've been around the house of God. So don't try to make someone else look bad just so you can make yourself look good. And from Cain's action here, we see that's what he was trying to do. If I can eliminate Abel, I'll look pretty good then, won't I? <laughs> if you're the only one standing, hey, you got to look good, right? No, that's not the way it works. We see the way God deals with it is God says, no, that's not how it's going to work. We need to make a, changes in our own spirit and our own attitude. All right, turn with me in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now, this is the faith chapter. You all know that. I'm not preaching anything you don't know there. In Hebrews, the faith, in uh, 11th chapter, verse number 4. fingers are sticking together. Alright, verse 4 says, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now we studied that, didn't we? Does anybody have any doubt that by faith that was the motivation that Abel used to bring forth the sacrifice to God? And because Cain's sacrifice wasn't acceptable, what did it lack? Faith. It lacked the faith. If he had the faith in action, his sacrifice would have been more successful because he would have put forth the effort. He would have done it right. He would have done what it took to please God. So it says, by faith able offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. 
You know what? Cain tried to kill his brother so his sacrifice wouldn't outshine his. God says after he killed him, his sacrifice was still better than Abel's or Cain's. Abel still had the better. Why? By faith. Huh. Isn't that something? Amen. So what we need to do is find out what it takes to please God is faith and it doesn't destroy anything we do when someone tries to eliminate our situation there. Amen. Our faith can work for us or um, by not relying on our faith can destroy our relationship with God. It did for Cain. Amen. It didn't change Abel at all because he killed him. All he got to do was go to heaven quicker if you want to look at it that way. 1 John, the third chapter. I want to read verse 10. I'm not going to comment on this. I don't want to make us late for lunch, but I'm going to read verses 10 to 12, and you just follow me as I read it, and then you put into your mind what we've talked about this morning and see if it makes sense. Verse number 10, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Now you know what he's talking about in this particular chapter. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God. That speak of who? I'd say that's Cain. Neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. If Cain loved his brother like a brother, killing him would have never been on his agenda list. Verse 12 says, not as Cain. Cain is a bad example of what not to be, or a good example of what not to be. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? No, why'd he slew him? Why'd he kill him? John, first John, John wants to know, why'd he kill him? Anybody know why he killed him? Yes, you do. Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. That's why I killed him. Huh, what do you think of that? Huh, does that make sense? Huh. John uses this example because it was now obvious that of what God desires of his people is a good spirit and a good offering and a good attitude. They all go hand in hand by faith. Turn over a couple pages in Jude. Now Jude's talking here. I want to read verse 3 and 4 to let you know what Jude's talking about here, and then we're going to see how it applies to what we're talking about this morning. It says in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. God's way is worth fighting for. That's what he's saying. But guess what? There's going to be some people that's going to give you trouble. There's going to be some people that don't think faith is worth fighting for. For there are certain men crept in unawares. They kind of snuck in the back door. They did it under the cover of darkness or however they want to do it. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That means loose living. And denying the only Lord God. See, in the Old Testament, that's all they had was the Lord God. And they even went so far in the New Testament and to deny our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's see some things about this. Now, you're going to read, if you read the rest of this book down through here, this chapter, he's going to talk about false preachers and false teachers that are trying to change the grace of God into uselessness. All right? Your faith really don't matter. Just live this world the way you want and everything will work out great. No. He says in verse 11, Woe unto them. Amen? For they've gone the way of Cain. Again, Cain is the example of what 
not to do. Amen? Now, I've always said we can learn from examples. Some good, some bad. But we can learn from all of them. Of course, he goes on and says, They ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, I could preach on Balaam, I could preach on Korah, and we would come to the same conclusion. They were out to discredit, if you would, what God was trying to do in the situations that God put them in. Amen? So here we get instructions on how to guard ourselves against evil teachers or false teachers and even a evil actions in God's history book. They're ungodly man turning the grace of God into loose living, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he gives an example of that, and Cain is the primary example. I don't know how many times I've told the church, learn from all examples but follow the good ones and stay away from the bad ones. Hopefully, by the example of Cain and Abel, we can see where God wants us to fit in his pattern, and we'll be able to enrich our lives and our relationship with God when we walk the way God chose to lead us in the way of, of the examples he set before us. So this morning... If you've not been up to date with your sacrifices, God desires of you to get on track with him. He's even given you time. Amen. What was that time be used for? Time to repent. It's our time to be back on track with God, or that time will become more selfish and more bitter towards the things of God. You choose how you want to spend your time with God. It's up to you. The examples are set in history, and they're there for our admonition. So this morning, which example do you want to follow? That's what it comes down to. And remember, Jesus never said it was going to be easy, just worth it.